0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit JDPower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or SleepNumber.com.
1: Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help.
0: Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages.
1: Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne causing bacteria by a whopping 90%.
0: Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see, it stops new breakouts in their tracks It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day.
1: As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for
0: quick access. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole Bennett. Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and
1: relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. Cara, our guest this week is Devorah Heitner, who... Many people listening may actually know who she is because she is really the authority that people turn to for advice about caring for kids in a always connected, technology-filled world. Her new book is out today called Growing Up in Public, Coming of Age in a Digital World. And her previous book, Screenwise, Helping Kids Thrive and Survive in Their Digital World is awesome. And the thing that I love about Devorah, besides the fact that she's the coolest PhD in the world, she's a PhD in media, technology, and society from Northwestern. I wanna like apply to that program right now is that she is just filled with so much practical, actionable wisdom. Our entire conversation are just incredible nuggets about how to talk to kids and work with kids in authentic ways about their technology use and the impact on their lives.
0: Right. I mean, she's a total realist, right? She is not asking for parents to throw out the baby with the bathwater and just pretend that they can move beyond social media and their family lives. So she talks about it in such a rational, thoughtful way and in an ever evolving way. It's a great conversation.
1: It's a great conversation. We hope she will come back and we have no doubt that you will all learn so much from Devorah. Devorah, happy pub day. Thank you. We are so excited to have you on the Puberty Podcast on the very day that your incredible book, Growing Up in Public, is released into the world for all of the desperate adults to <laughs> use and read and learn from. We're thrilled to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited. So, Cara we must get a 1,001 questions a day from listeners about handling kids and technology. Is that an exaggeration? I don't think that's an exaggeration.
0: No, I think that's a really nice, (laughs) not round number.
1: (laughs) I like odd numbers. I don't know what that says about me. So Devorah, we're here because all of your work is about handling kids and technology and You use a phrase that we're going to come back to, which is about having adults teach kids about mentorship and not monitorship, right? Mentoring, not monitoring kids of technology. But I want to start with a sort of a baseline premise from you, which is... This
0: might be a personal question for Vanessa.
1: (laughs) No, no. The questions (laughs) will get personal later. I'm going to stay broad to begin with, and then all my self-control will evaporate. What do adults get wrong about kids and technology? What are the like blazing assumptions we make that are inaccurate or unfair or only tell a small part of the story about the role that technology and social media plays in kids' lives?
2: That's such a great question. I think adults sometimes imagine that kids are sort of up to no good in some very particular ways. Like they're on social media and especially something like Snapchat, say where the images disappear and they're like absolutely there because they want to use it to like buy drugs or send nudes or something that adults would be like, heck no, do not do it. You know, there's no gray area here. This is not good. And most of the time when kids, for example, want their image to disappear, whether it's Snapchat or whether it's these enterprising girls I talked to who were using Google Docs to talk and erasing their messages as soon as they had been seen, it's that actually kids are more sharp and aware about reputation and freaked out appropriately by the permanence of the ways digital interactions get recorded. And they want to have more control over that. So it's a good example of like, again, that doesn't mean you need to like run out and get your nine-year-old on Snapchat. But (laughs) if your kid wants to not have everything they post stay around for posterity, you know, one interpretation is like everything they post is bad. Another is like they get that some of the things they post, they might not want to look at later. They might find cringy later. They might not feel like reflects well on them in five years, but that doesn't mean it's evil. Right. Or it doesn't mean it's harmful, you know, that they're like, again, using it to do something that's like illegal or harming others. It just might be, you know. So that's an example where I think the kids get it right and adults don't. And I think also adults think that kids don't care about privacy because they share so openly about themselves. And I actually think kids are transforming the culture in the ways that they share about themselves. And so we want to look at the kids and think about them as potential examples of maybe this is the way we use social media and this is what it's for. Maybe it's there to destigmatize and break down boundaries. Maybe it's, you know, maybe we don't go on social media to be private. I mean, that's kind of a an interesting thought. You know, so you see adults and they're they're on Facebook or Instagram and then they're like, well, my kid is so sherry on Discord. And I'm like, well, what are you on social for? Or um when adults say kids only want attention, I'm like, well, what do you post for? You know, I, I when I post I want attention, I don't really post things I don't want people to attend to and respond to and like, because then I wouldn't post it.
1: (laughs) I don't post my mediocre performances or unflattering pictures. And actually that's something Cara, I wanted you to ask your question, but I would love to explore the blurry image trend and the like blurry photos that kids post as opposed to like perfectly curated in focus photos. So let's get back to that, but Cara, I interrupted you.
0: Okay. Here's been my burning question since I read your book, because I was lucky and got an advanced copy. And also now hearing your very top line summary of some of the things that we get wrong. We adults are trained to be catastrophizers, right? So help us, give us some guideposts. How do we start seeing the glasses half full with technology? And we are going to get into this deep, but can you start us off in this conversation with a little bit of a frame shift to give people permission for not seeing social media in particular, but tech in general as the evil empire?
2: Yeah. I mean, let's look at young activists. Let's look at young people like Catlin Sabato in Chicago or ex Gonzalez and the other young people from Parkland, Florida. There's so many amazing young people who are using. Youth- Using Twitter and Discord and Instagram and YouTube and TikTok in ways that challenge the status quo and speak truth to power. And I think it's amazing. And it's a way for young people also to connect with other people with whom they might have affinity, with whom they might be able to do work. Right. So we saw the kids from Parkland then collaborate with kids in Chicago who are already doing anti-violence work and thinking about guns. And together they could connect. And that happened because of social media. It would have been much harder if they'd had to go the old school way. I mean, activists always found each other, but it wasn't as immediate. There's some folks I interviewed for the book as well, like Lilia Scudamore in Colorado, who's now a university student, who was able to get training from other young people because there was a Title IX complaint at her high school and the Title IX reporting was just busted. It was broken. Like you could go to Title IX to make a report and the website link failed. And that was by design. It wasn't just like a one-day problem. You know, it was like, it was it was designed to, to frustrate you. It was designed to not work. Mm-hmm. And she found other students in another town in Colorado who were doing Title IX reporting organizing and they trained one another in how to effectively, you know, protest against their high school administrations to get better reporting rules for sexual harassment and sexual assault. That is an incredible thing. So when you see young people coming together, using social media for positive change in our world, whether that's at their school or in our larger society, this is something to be celebrated. So I I think before we kind of throw it all out or say it's terrible, we have to look at the ways young people are using it for making change.
1: And we know, I mean, the research tells us that for kids who are marginalized, either because of race or sexual orientation or gender identity, they find community and affinity online. It makes them feel less Alone and it connects them to kids all over the country, all over the world. And when you live in a community where in real life no one else looks like you or no one else is going through your experience, I mean, if there's a solution to adolescent loneliness, bring it on, right? It's like it's such a challenging time. And so to think about kids finding connection, even if it's not in person, I think that's so important. So For those of you listening who have spent the last year screaming at your kid and saying, I know it's the phone. It's all the phone's fault. Technology is terrible. I'm going to take you off every platform. Just hear what Devorah has to say over the next time period because she will open your mind to a new way of thinking and a new approach to dealing with technology in a way that doesn't say it's all great and it's all amazing. You don't need to do anything, but it will shift your perspective. So we actually got a parent question recently, and I'd love for us to explore it together. One of the issues that happens as kids enter puberty and adolescence is increased independence, right? Their independence ratchets up, and in turn, our worry and anxiety ratchets up. And so we enter this stage of life where we debate, do we track them? Do we check their texts? Do we look at their search history, right? We're debating all of how much do we try to keep them, stay on top of them and monitor them and frankly, try to stay in control of a situation that's going to become increasingly out of our control.
0: But in fairness, because I just want to add to your prompt, because we know our job is to keep them safe and healthy, right?
1: Right, and we know bad stuff happens. I mean, Mm -hmm. bad stuff happens. And yet, we had this question from a parent who said, my kid turned to me and was like, I don't have any place to like be intimate with someone in my life because our smart house is wired and there's cameras everywhere and I have no privacy. Like, I've never had my first kiss because there's literally someone watching from every corner of every room of the house. Like, and I'm on Life 360. So even when I'm not home, right. you're tracking me. You know right? exactly where I am. And so the question is, how do we give kids some independence and also, you know, help keep them, as Cara said, healthy and safe? How do we find that balance, Deborah?
2: Well, just because we can track our kids on Life360 or find my phone, geotrack them doesn't mean we should. And in fact, I think we've all been sold this idea that we should be checking our kids' grades and tracking their location because it's technically possible at all times. And we should be walking around with like at any time during my workday, I should be able to like check my kid's GPA or I should be able to like see his exact location. I think we need to get more comfortable with ambiguity. And that is the the work of our kids in adolescence is growing up and separating from us. And even in childhood, they can be more. I mean, I think it's okay to not know where your, you know, eight year old is exactly during the school day, for example. Like, do you need to know every moment in time where they are? But certainly when they're an adolescent, they're biking or driving or taking transit and being in the world independently. We have to get comfortable with the ambiguity that our parents lived with and recognize, too, that the dangers that we perceive may not be the dangers that are accurate. And helping our kids have robust judgment, know who they can turn to for help in a tricky situation. That's what keeps them safe. It's not actually keeping a camera on them all the time. It's not knowing their location at all times. It's making sure that they know if my phone runs out of battery And I don't know how to get from point A to point B. These are the safer people that I can ask for help, or this is how I can use the map. I mean, I live in Chicago, which is a grid. And I'm always like, hello, look up. Like you can use your phone to get you places, but the tall buildings will actually sometimes block the signal. So another option is there's these numbers on the side of the building. (laughs) And if they're going up, (laughs) Then you're moving in one direction and you can actually go like, okay, if I'm at, you know, this number and I need to get to that number, like maybe I don't need the Google lady to tell me, but (laughs) we want our kids to function in that way. Right. And be able to be in the world. And so I, I think that's super important to equip kids for like the A plan and also like the B and C plan. And by the way, you know, it's probably safer for your kid to have those first sexual experiences at home right? And you no, know, not every family is a fan of that. But if you don't want them getting arrested at the park, if you don't want them sneaking around at school and making out in the bathroom, which is another thing kids get in trouble for, then maybe turn off some cameras. Like that seems like a lot of information. I don't want somebody looking at me while I'm sleeping, right? Okay. But this is like what the baby monitor habituates you to.
0: Right. Or if they're old enough to be sneaking around having sexual experiences, maybe have the conversation with them, right? And mm-hmm. actually you know, just take the deep exhale and say, I think it's time for us to talk about this. And you're going to need some privacy at some point. Let's talk about it because this is how the house is set up. And what do you think? And give me some suggestions, And right? Well, and Um, I hope their bedroom isn't wired because most kids are
2: also probably having solo sex long before they're having partner sex. And you don't want to see that either. That's also private.
0: You made a comment in your book that I wanted lights and sirens to go off when I read it, because you talked about gathering information, whether they know it or don't know it. And in pediatric practice for years, what we've always said is don't ever do a test or collect information without their knowledge because then what are you gonna do with the information? So it's bad enough to have the information with their knowledge if it's information you don't want. But if you're collecting, whether it's drug testing them without their knowledge or mm. videoing them without their knowledge. So my very first month in practice, I had a mom come in. I mean, this was decades ago at this point, And she said, we bought a new house. It had video cams already wired. We didn't take them down I watched a video of my kids getting drunk in a room. They don't know we have video cameras. They don't know I saw. What do I do with the information? And it is exactly, it was the year 2000 version of what you're describing here. And like, yes, you will end up in this sinkhole of then your kids don't trust you. And then you're a spy and you're right. And there's a whole series of events that unfold. So recognizing your role as the adult in having the ability to press the off switch is extraordinarily powerful.
2: You don't want them surveilling you. You don't want them you for eating the ice cream directly out of the box that one time.
1: Yeah, no, that one time. (laughs) That one time, right. Um, So Devorah, let's go back to this concept, which is my new touchstone, which is mentoring rather than monitoring. And I want to go back to something you said a minute ago, which is don't just give them the A plan, give them the B and the C plan. And the reason that I love that framing is because life, 90% of the time, is the B and the C plan and is not the A plan. And we as adults know that to be the case. Kids have not yet caught on, but it's our job to give them the framework and the training and the skills to deal with it when that becomes the case. So, give us some examples of what it means to mentor kids around technology rather than monitor, right? So, if it's not tracking them on Life360. And if it's not, you know, having find my phone turned on at all times or find my friend at all times, you can tell I don't use it because I can't remember what it's called. What is it? How are we giving them the skills and ensuring that they're learning how to keep themselves safe?
2: I think a great way to get your kids discernment and learn about how your emerging young adult is thinking about the world, whether they're, you know, 11 or 13 or 15 is to ask them about their observations of others like rather mm-hmm. than dive into the dissection of your kid who you probably already know really well and they already feel very sort of vulnerable to your gaze because your thoughts are so important and in some cases as they grow up a little intrusive ask them like do you have a friend who you know posts things that don't align with maybe who they seem like they are in person like do you ever see that Or do any of your friends just like hit up the group text too much? Is there anyone who's kind of, you know, or do you have a friend who gets too too mad when they game is something I might ask younger kids. Mm. And these are just questions like to get their discernment, like how are they thinking about other people's behavior? But that gives you a clue into the ways they relate to, whether it's gaming, the group text, social media, you know, asking them those kinds of questions. Another great way in to mentoring and talking about their ways of thinking about their reputation their boundaries is thinking about watching a show together whether mm-hmm. it's an oldie like I watched Friday night lights with my son when he was 11 at the beginning of the pandemic you know now we watch things like what we do
1: in the shadows which some people might not find to be very appropriate family viewing <laughs> it really We watch every on who we you watch are. everything Devorah. so don't, the only time I've drawn a line recently is when my 12-year-old was like let's watch Wolf of Wall Street and like 5 minutes in one of the characters was like, I don't know, doing cocaine off the naked back of some woman. And I was like, all right. And we're out. Like
2: you Game can... of Thrones was where I drew the line. My son yes. was 12 and someone recommended an older teenager recommended it to him. I think in a like not thinking maybe
0: that like, the first is a season is a sixth
2: grader. <laughs> Soft and, I, porn. And, I, and I just said actually, I mean, I was really direct with my kid because he's a kid who really responds well to this kind of directness. I just said it really sexualizes sexual violence. Like this is a show that's trying to make sexual violence sexy. And I'm actually okay with things that are just sexy, sexy. Yeah. He doesn't want to watch, like, he doesn't want to watch shows with me that have romance plots that have people like making out or, you know, Mm -hmm. so he doesn't even want it like sexy, sexy with mom, which is fine. Like, I think that's a fine boundary to not want to watch those things, at least as a family, like with mom and dad or whatever. But anything that's romanticizing or sexualizing, you know, sexual violence for me is like, that's a line. So a lot of things that fall into that, but Game of Thrones was on the extreme. <laughs> I
1: yes, I, I the first season I was like, what is this? So anyways, I interrupted you. But and yeah, try- I mean, mentoring
2: is like, like it's great to watch a show like like Friday Night Lights because there's an opportunity there instead of having this sort of after-school special conversation with your kid about alcohol, for example, you're having the more like, wow, they really only told one person their parents were going to be away, but that really got around school. Like everyone knew and they were there. It seems like it kind of got out of control. Like just opening up to see what your kid says about that. And at different ages, you might get a very kind of rigid, you know, like a younger kid will be like, well, I would never, right. you know, but an older kid might, with more social lived experience might say something like, yeah, that's a really tricky situation. Like it's really hard to draw the boundary with peers. I mean, I I remember early in the pandemic when colleges set up these rules that young people were supposed to say only have two people in your dorm room, but not three. And I was just like, that is doomed to fail because adolescents are in the peak at, you know, going to college at their peak, sort of mating instinct and friendship, you know, connection instinct. And how would any of us be like, oh, well, you two come in and you go, (laughs) that would be incredibly rude. Right. So, I mean, I unfortunately knew kids who got suspended from college for things like that, but it was just not a realistic expectation. Anyway, we can come back to
0: mentoring. Sorry. (laughs) Well, I love the frame of what you're doing, which is so beautiful, is you're describing how to grab a teachable moment in a very real way. We use that phrase all the time. You're driving down the street and see a bus with an ad on it and and it's gross and like tongues coming out of a serpent's mouth and they're all, right, whatever. And you're, okay, that's a teachable moment. But it sounds so unsexy and it sounds so unappealing to grab the teachable moment. So what you're talking about with mentoring feels like, partly that grabbing the teachable moment it also feels like do as i do and not as i say and you call out so many times in in all of your work the importance of us following mm-hmm. in the footsteps that we expect them to follow in like it's not okay for us to tell them one thing and be doing another because frankly, it's just not going to work. And so can you talk about that a little bit in that mentoring construct and what does it mean to actually sort of, you know, do as you say? Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer
1: That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator.
0: It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We
1: have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at bioptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them.
0: Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com puberty and use the code puberty to save $5.
2: Well, so if you want your kids to have a balanced relationship with tech, you want to be putting your phone away. You don't want to be texting and driving. Kids will tell me when I go out to schools that their parents ask them like, oh, how did your math quiz go? And they answer. And then the parents ask again, because they're scrolling while they're talking to their kids and they're not fully attending to the fact that their kid just said how their math quiz went. And and their kids are very, very aware of that and very frustrated. I do app design workshops sometimes with students and all. I've had them design apps to get their parents off their phones. So we want to be available. We want to be making eye contact with our kids or turning to them with our full face. My laptop is a lot more of a draw for me than my phone because I'm too middle-aged to read my phone, frankly. So (laughs) I'm looking over top of my laptop at my kid. But if I close it or close it more, he knows I'm actually listening. Whereas if I leave Mm -hmm. it open and kind of put it at half mask... I'm I'm communicating to him that I'm like half paying attention. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and also, I'm, not there.
0: I'm just not going to lie. Menopause can also cause you to hear something and then not hear it and ask right like a second time. So when there is no phone or laptop involved, sometimes it's menopause.
2: Yeah, and I think that's it's saying. fine to let your kids know they're not the only ones going through a massive hormonal change. I think that's totally <laughs> important. Um, and being really transparent about that to you know to the level that makes sense and is comfortable. I also think making sure we have a policy about consent in families about what yep. we share about our kids is a tremendous way to mentor them, make them feel safe at home. You're not the paparazzi. You're not following them behind closed doors. So I know we talked about the sort of creepy home cams, but so many of us are just sort of walking around with our devices, photographing our kids And adolescence is a, if not sooner, is a really important time to make sure we have permission, okay, not just to share their photo, but their news.
0: But go there. Like, can you give really clear, concrete advice? Because this will be a follow-up question. Can you kind of go age by age? What is your opinion about what oversharing looks like by adults and where it leads? Maybe starting at really young ages where there's no getting consent from kids.
2: Yeah, in zero to five is if you think it would be embarrassing later, if in doubt, don't share it out, share it with the grandparents, you know, text it to a few close people, your colleagues and your friends from summer camp 60, you know, or like, 30 years ago, or 20 years ago, like, they don't actually even want to see as many pictures of your baby as you think. So there's a core group for me, it was the three living grandparents. That was who wanted to see the like daily or weekly baby photo those are the people who are safe to share with. And if you share in a way that's not social posts, like Mark Zuckerberg doesn't have to be where we keep our diary. And I think that's okay. Right. And then as kids get older, they may either gravitate in two directions. They may gravitate and I'm putting my hand up, I'm walking away, stop photographing me. Or they might be like, oh, I'm glad mommy, you put my gymnastics routine on, on the computer. Can I see it? Did people like it? Right. And I think both of those need to be attended to. Now, if your kid is like chasing the likes on your social, I wouldn't be like, oh no, what's wrong with them? They they want attention, they want response, they want regard. These are the things that we're primed for as human beings for social connection. The people who design these apps are very good at getting us where we're very human, but we may wanna sort of slow our roll because this is a kid who's already wanting the likes at seven, at nine this is the kid who's going to tell you at 10, they want to be an influencer. Like you may want to just kind of slow the sharing and slow the, how much you're showing them the response. The kid who's saying, don't post me is telling me you don't post them. And I think we need to not post them. And it gets tricky because people will say, I have one sibling that lets me post and the other that doesn't. And then people will say, oh,
1: do you prefer (laughs) the one you're posting? Right. So I want to talk about that because I have four kids and my rule in my house is you ask someone's permission before you post a picture of them. Whether you're an adult asking a kid, whether you're a kid asking an adult, whether it's two adults, at like you always need permission to post someone else's picture. And I have two kids whose birthdays are a few days apart from each other. And I post birthday posts with permission of my kids. And I, one of them, I was like, so do you want one picture or multiple pictures? Do you want a collage or do you want a carousel? Do you want to approve the picture? And that kid was like, post whatever pictures you want. I want a carousel of several pictures. That would be great. And then the other kid, I said, I know you don't want me posting pictures of you right now. Your birthday's coming up. Would you prefer that I not post a picture of you? I don't want you to feel like I... Because he was then becoming legally on Instagram and had permission to be on Instagram for the first time. And he said... I'd want you to post a picture of me, but I want it to be a baby picture. I don't want it to be a current picture. And I said, Okay. And I said, I'm going to send you some pictures and I want you to choose which picture I post. And you can always tell me you've decided you don't want it. And he, you know, he chose it and all of that. But six months ago, he was very happy for me to post, you know, all different sorts of pictures of him. And a year from now, he may have new opinions. And what it taught me was, that the kid's position on how they're shared in the world on social media changes. This is a kid who has Snapchat, who takes pictures, like bizarre pictures of himself all the time, and sends them to individual friends. As part for those of you not on Snapchat, what you do is send photos of yourself back more, and, and they're usually like of your cheek or your chin or the ceiling, or you're making but a weird face. He's in control of that. That's he's so different than having you share. That's right. So. Can you talk about, you use the term sharenting, which I totally love. And Cara and I, between us, have different approaches to social media. When we go deeper and we get more nuanced on sharenting, my lesson learned this year was it evolves. So when you have permission to do one thing at one stage of your kid's life, you need to continue to ask permission and be in conversation with them. Devorah, in your mind, are there any no-fly zones? Are there any things that like an adult should ultimately say like, nope, not happening or not doing it, or you shouldn't do it? Can you talk about those a little bit?
2: Well, I think first of all, we need to think not just about our kid right now. Like say your seven-year-old is dancing in their underpants to some like really hot lyrics and they're like, share it. How will they really feel when they're 13 and they see that video? So I think some judicious editing, like take the video, but maybe keep it in the family. Like, A, we don't want something to be the worst case scenario, you know, is to like think about it potentially repurposed by someone for really gross things. Right. But even just for your own kids, potential future cringe factor, I think we need to think about like around eighth grade as like maybe the most self-conscious. Like, I think it's intriguing that your kid, you know, in early adolescence was okay with the baby pictures. I hear a lot of kids who want nothing to do with baby and toddler pictures and find that particular sort of birthday memory tradition to be troubling, but your kid green lit. So great. That's fine. And a lot of kids do enjoy them at graduation. Like a lot of graduations, if you go to a school like this, we'll do like a slideshow of like first day of kindergarten to like eighth grade or whatever. But my kid hates all of that memory lane stuff. And specifically was like, I will do a bar mitzvah as long as there's no slideshow with pictures of me as a toddler. (laughs) Like That Lucky was his condition. You. He was like, I'm not going up in a chair and you can't have a slideshow. I was like, done.
1: <laughs> oh my God. You just bought back like 20 hours of your life, not having to do a slideshow. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. That is fascinating. Yeah. And part of it is, and this goes back to puberty is like they're in transformation physically. I mean, this is what my kids say. Like, I don't like how I look right now. I don't want you posting pictures of me at this stage, or I didn't like oh. how I looked in seventh grade.
0: So don't I mean, post I'm it. so quiet in this because my kids have been so clear. They're not interested in having me post or tag. Oh, tagging for sure.
1: No tagging. At
0: any point. And it right. So like they've defined the terms of that. Yeah. And you feel a little bit like a parent fail when it's their birthday and you're not doing the big birthday post and you're not doing that. But that's what they're saying. That's and frankly, it has talked about saving hours of life oh going through the phone, right? The whole thing. Can I ask the flip side of this conversation, which is, so we've talked about parents posting or adults posting on behalf of the kids in their lives and sharing about those kids. Now let's talk about the platforms that kids want to be on badly and that they negotiate for big time. To your point earlier, Devor, about their being in control, right? These are two very separate streams here because when they ask to be on a platform, they're asking to be participants in a universe that for the most part does not involve us. And that's the permission they're asking for. So can you help walk us through the decision tree? What are some good guideposts that the adults in their lives can use to help make these decisions, knowing these decisions are going to look different in every home?
1: And can I just piggyback on that, which is the line that I've gotten all the time, we hear from parents all the time. If you don't let me on this insert platform, I will be a social pariah. Everyone else, Mm -hmm. I'm the only one. Right. So then you start to feel pressure for your kids like emotional well being that you are standing between them and like social happiness. And that's a big burden to bear. So go for it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And this is why I think we see things like wait until eighth, which I'm I'm not necessarily in agreement or alignment. But I'm, I mean, I'm definitely not. And I gave my kid a phone before eighth grade and all that. But I think people want the universe to kind of coalesce around some norms. And I will say the vastness of the differences between how families are doing things does create a challenge for parents. Yeah. Like it is really hard to you know, know that there are kids in your kids, say, third or fourth grade class with a phone if you're not planning to do it till middle school. And just to figure out like, because I think, although, you know, the parents listening to this, we all grew up at different times, we're different ages, we had our kids at different points in our lives. But there was still what at whatever point, whether you're like an AIM kid, like some of my former students who are now having kids now, and you grew up with AIM, or if you grew up with a house phone on the wall, like I did there was more shared norms among my friends. Like there wasn't as vast a difference. Yeah. Like maybe my friend could be on the phone at, at till 9.30 and I could be on the phone till 10, but it wasn't like she could be on the phone at 4 a.m., for example, and I couldn't. And now you have, you know, some people are letting their kids have 24 seven access to a connected device and they literally can be on Discord and group text at 4 a.m. And other people are much more controlled and locked down. Some kids are better at getting around those controls and mm-hmm. and down. Lock- down things like screen time and, you know, they'll figure out your password in three seconds, or they have a moldering device you don't know about that they're using to text people at 4am. There's just such a huge variety. So I just want to have some empathy for parents. Like I know I'm saying mentoring over monitoring, but boy, do I understand why people want to reach for those parental controls. And by the way, Mentoring over monitoring also doesn't mean throw your eight to 12 year old into the deep end, hand them a phone, walk away, hope for the best. That is not what I'm saying. Like feel free to take their device at night and make sure they get some sleep. Like feel free to have rules. I just don't think you want to be getting that covert, you know, list of every website they visited and they have no idea you could see that. That's what I'm talking about with mentoring over
0: monitoring. So to come back to like, what are the absolutes, right? Is that, that was the question Yeah, or just you know sort of some guideposts like what are a couple of things that parents can think about questions they can answer internally in order to make a decision about do I grant them access or not and knowing that the answer is always going to be don't grant access to all at once right so baby steps wins the day but you know how do they begin to process the decision tree
2: You want to look at your kid. You want to look at where is your kid good at social stuff and struggle with social stuff? Like if you know your kid is extremely competitive with board games and has tantrums that upend the family with board games, then guess what's going to happen on Roblox and Minecraft? That doesn't mean they shouldn't get experience there, but maybe they shouldn't be on there hours a day when they're unsupervised and unsupported because they might nuke their friendships there. If they take meds that help them be more regulated, maybe they shouldn't be on those games after those meds wear off in the evening, which is a time for a lot of families. You know, if you have neurodiverse kids, that's like a really tough time. Yeah. You can also really think a lot about that universe of contacts. You know, who is your kid in touch with on those texts? And texting is a really good first set of skills. And I would argue the only skill that 100% of adolescents need, like every kid who's ever going to make plans or study with someone else from school by the end of middle school, if not sooner, needs to be able to text because you're going to get to an age and I'm living through it right now. The kid who just finished eighth grade, like it is not appropriate for me to reach out to other parents to initiate plans. Now, am I coordinating with them about picking the kids up at six Flags right. or whatever? Yes, I'm still in the mix with some other parents, but we moved two years ago to a district where I don't know anybody. There's mm-hmm. no student directory. So I literally had no way to access other people's families. And I got here and my kid Um, had been home for 18 months in a pandemic. And the first thing I said to him is, I was like, you're going to meet kids at school. The only way you will ever see them outside of school is if you can contact them on Discord or Roblox or get their phone number. I can't do this for you. And you're going to come home and tell me their name is like Smith or Ramirez or Lee. And I'm going to be like, I don't know. Chicago's a big place. I can't find that family for you. You got to figure it out. And so that's it. Like they have to take that on. And so texting is the most undertaught and most important Mm -hmm. skill. Like, Love. forget about Snapchat or Instagram. Teach your kid how to text appropriately and thoughtfully.
1: Well, and, Devorah, I want to explore that because also the worst shit happens on text. Like, people are so worried about all these other platforms, but, like, the cruelest, racist, sexist, misogynistic, like, all of the really bad stuff that I've heard about from my kids and other people's kids, it happened in a group text. The only technology they had was the ability to text each other. And so... Right. Or I it think,
0: started in a group. Or it started text, right? in a group That's text the, and
1: then, you know, mm-hmm. the conflagration right. all over the place. So I think right. learning how to text, learning how to make plans, particularly for these kids who were coming out of a pandemic, who are like often socially delayed and made all <laughs> sorts of transitions when they were locked down. I think learning how to text with non-friends, right, with adults about, you know, bosses, about grandparents, like those are all really valuable skills that, as you say, is probably the only skill they need. I do want to add, if your kid says to you, if you don't let me get X or you don't let me be on X, like my life is over, the temptation is to say, you'll be fine. Don't be so dramatic. But the fact is we want to find out why they think their life will be over if they don't Get to be on that platform.
2: Um, I would get really, really curious about like what it is. And one compromise would be like putting that app on your phone for a time. Like maybe you're not ready to give over TikTok, for example, to like a younger tween because you know that there's a range of content, including some real pernicious stuff. But on the other hand, not having access to TikTok and YouTube in some social groups would be a little bit like you're the kid who only gets to watch PBS, or you're the kid whose family doesn't have a TV. You know, if like for me, like growing up in the 70s and 80s, had my family not have a TV? And I was almost that kid because I was the kid who didn't know who Michael Jackson was in third grade because my parents didn't listen to the radio at all. And I had no siblings. and I just no exposure to like any pop culture. So I like missed a few important things, like to the point where when my kid was little, I was like, okay, these are I was like, yes, we are living in a family where like folk music is big. But like, here's some other things just so like if somebody mentions Lizzo, like you cannot be like, what's that? And have everyone turn and stare you know, so that kind of like level of isolation. So, but that doesn't mean you want to give that nine-year-old TikTok necessarily on their own device, if they even have their own device at that age, but maybe you put on your device and you can say like, okay, if your friends want to share a meme with you on YouTube, like we can look at it together. I mean, YouTube often people are more comfortable with.
1: I'm not really sure why there's, it's the same I mean, level of gross snow- stuff and not no, gross and stuff and snowballs YouTube. and there's terrifying ads on it and movie trailers and all this stuff so that yeah. i would say don't be as comfortable with youtube as a lot of people i think
2: youtube are. is a great thing for kids to do especially in the single digit ages while you're in the room with them Yeah, if you're not looking over their shoulder at least the sound is on and you can kind of be checking in same thing with honestly like roblox and some you know some of the games i mean like my kids stumbled on you know people having sex in roblox and it was like you know, you can insert all kinds of like malware into these games. And so anything that kids are playing on a public server, you have to assume could be hacked. You can have to assume they may see some problematic language. So we also just want to set our kids up to know they can walk away. Like if somebody's saying something real gross, they should be able to. But that's a great,
0: great tip to keep the volume on. So that means headphones off. Right. Because we're so used to seeing kids who are sort of in their own little universe with a screen. And it's very hard to mentor if you don't know what sounds are coming out of that device and what is really going on on the screen.
2: And it will make you crazy too. Like, because I've lived in a really small apartment through most of the pandemic with my kid and I was losing my mind. (laughs) Correct. Listening to the, you know, Minecraft game or whatever.
1: You are amazing. We are so grateful that you put this book out into the world growing up in public. It's fantastic. It's everything you wish you'd known. And for those of us who have older kids, you wish you knew like five and 10 years ago. And for those of you with younger kids- But I'm still using it. But it's still relevant. (laughs) We're so thrilled for you. Please come back and visit us. You are a font of knowledge and we love being in conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. We absolutely love hearing your feedback and getting all your questions. So anytime you want to be in touch, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for great puberty products like the Oom Shorts or the Oom Socks or the Oom Bra, you get the theme there, go to myoomla.com. If you want more content, you love what we do on the puberty podcast, and you want to have us come speak or learn more about our book or subscribe to our amazing newsletter, The Awkward Roller Coaster, go to orderofmagnitude.co. Remember, it's .co because we don't have enough money to buy .com. Yet.
0: Planning for your next trip?